Turn to our master text, if you will, in the book of Genesis. As you see there on the screen, it's Genesis chapter 6. And we're starting a little bit of a new series today. I don't know how long this will last, called Build an Ark, God's Covenant of Protection. And again, it goes along with our theme today of God's deliverance in times of trouble. And our topic today, by the way, is sort of a continuation of Brent Denny's teaching two weeks ago where he talked about navigating life's storms, which I thought he did an excellent job on. And the basis for this teaching uh, today is the fact that, you know, there are many people who are prophesying and predicting a great shaking that's coming to this nation. And it could be very bad for a lot of people. But for the people of God, even though... We're not immune to having our worlds shaken from time to time. It will all go well in the end for the people of God who love him and who are committed to his kingdom. But how do I know that? And how do we get there? Well, let's read our master text first, and then we'll uh, pursue this. Okay, so stand up with me, if you will, and let's honor the reading of God's word. We're going to start in verse 8 of Genesis chapter 6. And it says this, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That's a great line right there, isn't it? Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. That's a key verse, too. He walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, The earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make your ark of cypress wood and make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. And he gives a little instruction here upon the the dimensions. Uh, And then so let's skip down to uh, verse uh, 18. So he gives him the, actually verse 17. Uh, I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you and will, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons, your wife, I'm sorry, you, your sons, uh, and your wife, your sons' wives with you. You are to bring them into the ark, two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. And then he goes on to give some additional instructions on that. So in all God's people say, amen. amen. Go ahead and have a seat if you will. Well, once again, I want to ask the question uh, based upon my previous comments. um, How do I know that it will all go well for the people of God in these perilous times? How do I know that and how do we get there? Well, some observations from the text for you uh, is this. First of all, I want you to notice that Noah found favor in the eyes of God. Remember verse 8, Noah found favor. Why is that? Yeah, because he walked with God in verse 9. He was a righteous and blameless man and walked with God. That's why he found favor in God's sight. And then verse 18, it said, God established a covenant with Noah and separated him and his family from the coming judgment. 
Now, that's a key point right there, folks. Because when God brings judgment, I want you to know, when God brings judgment, and he does, but when he does, he will not sweep away the righteous with the unrighteous. You remember Sodom and Abram came to Sodom and he, he pleaded with God, will you destroy the righteous with the unrighteous? Remember that process? He asked God, if you can find 50 people in Sodom, will you spare it for the sake of 50 people? And God said, yes, I will. And then he whittled him down to, what was it, 10 people? And he couldn't even find 10 people in Sodom. So, but he bargained with God, Abram did, and, and kept saying, far be it from you, Abram said, to sweep away the righteous with the unrighteous. And Abram uh, continued to bargain with him and uh, until he got him down to 10 people. And God said, no, I won't destroy the city for the sake of 10 people. So that's God's nature. He will not sweep away the righteous with the unrighteous. So on the menu today, here's our agenda today. First of all, we're going to talk about the covenant nature of God and then an important provision of that covenant and then we're going to talk about two ways we hold up our end of the covenant. So here we go. First of all, I want you to understand, and this is your first key thought here, that God is a covenant-keeping God. God is a covenant-keeping God. Now, what is covenant? Well, you can liken it to a contract or an agreement, but it's much more than that because with a covenant, or I should say with a contract, if someone violates the, the terms of that contract, the contract becomes null and void. But did you know that with God, especially in the new covenant, that you can violate the terms of the contract and God's grace covers that and you're still in covenant with God if you, if you repent and you decide not to go off on your own and just continue to live an ungodly life and reject all of this, you blowing it one day or one week or even one month does not get you out of the covenant of God because he's always faithful on his end. Does that make sense? If you go and read Deuteronomy 28, and that's old covenant. That's not even as good as our covenant. If you go read Deuteronomy 28, the first 14 verses in Deuteronomy 28 are all the blessings and benefits of covenant with God. And it's good stuff. Your children are going to be blessed. Your finances are going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed in your workplace. You know, all these things are going to come to you as a result of walking in covenant with God and keeping up your end of the covenant. But then in the last two-thirds of Deuteronomy 28, it lists all the bless, uh, all the curses, rather, all the curses of breaking covenant with God. And, and this is not just talking about like a one-time thing. It's talking about going off on a lifestyle of breaking covenant with God and all the curses that come upon uh, the people of God as a result of that, which includes various types of sicknesses, anxiety, depression. Uh, it talks about your children will be swept away by the world. Uh, it's, a, it's a really long and terrible list. So you do not want to be on that back end of Deuteronomy 28. You want to be included in the first 14 verses of that. Okay? So we want to keep our end of the covenant. And again, I, I don't want you to mishear me. When I say keep your end of the covenant, I think people automatically say, well, gosh, if I blow it one day, I've violated covenant, so I'm out of God's good graces. Thank God for Jesus. We don't have to make atonement for our sins once a year 
because, and that's supposed to cover all, the, all your sins for the, pre, uh, the, the next year. And then you come in and you do some ceremony for atonement again. The redemption of Jesus provides atonement and redemption every single day, every single moment of every day. So you can blow it terribly. And then, of course, 1 John 1, 9 says that when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's available to you every day. Praise God. So God is a covenant-keeping God, and he wants to pour out the blessings of Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 through 14 on you. Now, you could say, and some people have said this, well, Andy, Deuteronomy 28 was written to the people of Israel during that time. That was for them, and that doesn't apply to us today. All right, well, let's explore that thought a little bit. Let's go to the New Covenant in Galatians chapter 3. I'm going to read a little bit to you that connects us back to the Old Covenant. Galatians 3, starting in verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Now what's the curses of the law he's talking about? That back half of Deuteronomy 28, we're redeemed from that. We're redeemed from those things because Jesus did that for us. Okay, let's keep reading. Verse 14, he redeemed us in order that the blessing promised to Abraham would come to the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. Did you notice that? The blessing, the the, the blessing promised to Abraham would come to who? The Gentiles. Everybody that's not born of Jewish descent right now, that applies to you. Raise your hand if you're a Gentile. That's just about everybody in the room. Okay? The blessing promised to Abraham would come to the Gentiles in Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. By what? By faith, receive the promise of the Spirit. It goes on in verse 26. You and me, talking about New Covenant Gentiles, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What promise? The ones given in the Old Covenant. See, the Old Covenant, a lot of people seem to believe that the Old Covenant was just for the people of that time in Israel. And then the New Covenant is just like not as good of a covenant. Yeah, we got salvation, but it doesn't have a lot of the same provisions. No, no, folks, listen, the the new covenant was based upon the old, we, God just added to it. So everything in the old covenant now accrues to us and then some through the new covenant, through the blood and finished work of Jesus. Did you, did you know that? Okay, three of you did. Okay. I heard Keith Moore describe it this way. You know, if I offered you a, a, a $20 bill or a $10 bill, you, take, you can take either one. Take your pick. $20 bill, $10 bill. Which one are you going to take? The $20 bill. Why? Because the 10 is included in that 20. You just got two of them. So it's the better deal. So think of the new covenant as the $20 bill. The old covenant is the $10 bill. There's benefits of the old covenant, but more covenants in the new, uh, new benefits in the new covenant. Does that make sense? 
Okay? So I, I want you to notice that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. That's the old, all the curses that we just briefly talked about. You ought to go read all of Deuteronomy 28 and read the horrendous things that you're redeemed from in the back half of Deuteronomy 28. Because, you know, if you see it on that list, you can actually resist those things in your life. It talks about boils and, and you know, wasting disease and fever. and all, There's all kinds of things in there. You say, you know what? That's in the curse of the law. I'm redeemed from that. Hallelujah. Praise God. It also talked about in, 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 in that section that, that your children will be led away by the world while you weep for them and you can't do a thing about it. You're redeemed from that. You're redeemed from your kids being taken in by the world. So if your kids are off track right now, you can start claiming your covenant in Deuteronomy 28 and say, I'm redeemed from that. Lord, you redeemed me from that. Hallelujah. And begin believing for the return of, of your wayward ones. Okay? So, yes, the things in the old covenant do apply in the new covenant. Now, I want to switch gears here for a little bit and talk about one of the provisions of the covenant, which is divine protection. Divine protection. And now we're going to do verse by verse right now through Psalm 91. Now, I know we've talked about Psalm 91 many times, but I think it's always worth revisiting, especially in these perilous times where all these predictions and prophecies are being made about the great shaking that's coming to this nation. I don't know if it will. I don't know if it won't. But if history repeats itself at all, then, you know, when a nation falls away from God as badly as we have, a lot of times there is calamity that comes to a nation as a result of that. But for the people of God, we're building ourselves an ark right now. We're building ourselves an ark of protection against uh, the calamity that may come upon this world. So we're going to do verse by verse through Psalm 91 so we can re-energize our faith along these lines. So let's begin. Verse 1. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. What's that? It's a place of intimacy with God. Shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. And by the way, that term that was, that word from the ancient Hebrew that was translated into secret place in English is the word sether, and it means a covering, a hiding place, or secrecy. And actually, that, the correct pronunciation is sather. It looks like sether, but it's the correct pronunciation is sather. That's a really a side note. But it means a covering, a hiding place, and secrecy. So if you're dwelling in the secret place, the covering and the hiding place and the secrecy, you're coming apart in your secret place to seek God, then you're, you will abide under the shadow. That's a place of protection of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He's my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him will I trust. Now, by the way, I want to give you a little bit of commentary on that, just so you know that this is not Andy's interpretation. Um, so, in the, the, the literal wording, if we were to word it literally as it appears in the Hebrew, as best we can in English, which is a difficult thing to do since the Hebrew is so much more expansive than English, but as best as we can, if we were to, to um, translate this literally in the literal sense, 
Here's how it would read. He, sitting in the hiding place of the Most High, in the shadow of the Almighty he lodgeth, I say to Jehovah, my refuge and my fortress, my God, I trust in him. Now, I want to give you the Cambridge Bible commentary on that passage. Just again, so you know that this is not my opinion, okay? A lot of very smart theologians would agree with me here, but let, let me read you the Cambridge Bible commentary. Okay, this is what they say about that passage. Whoever takes refuge with God will find himself under the protection of an almighty guardian. He shall be treated as God's guest. His almighty power shall be spread around him during the night of trouble and peril. Loving faith on man's part shall be met by faithful love on God's part. Hallelujah. Let me read to you out of the pulpit commentary. The, the phrase there, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High, this is what they say on that. He who has his thoughts always on God is said to, quote, dwell in him, to make his abode in him, to, quote, sit down in his secret place. He has the Almighty, as it were, for his constant companion. And on the phrase, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty, according to the pulpit commentary, it states, what is meant is that, quote, loving faith on man's part shall be met by faithful love on God's part. Does that sound familiar? Yeah? So the, the pulpit commentary is actually quoting from a different commentary, the K commentary. Um, so it's in, it's in both there. So once again, loving faith on man's part shall be met by faithful love on God's part, which includes protection. God will extend his, quote, shadow over the man or woman who places himself or herself under God's protection. So this is not just an anti-theology. This is pretty widely accepted theology that when we abide under the shadow of the Almighty, we have at our disposal his protection. Praise God. All right, let's continue here. Verse 3 in Psalm 91. Surely he shall de deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. Now what's a fowler? That's not really a word that's common uh, today in today's vernacular. But a fowler refers to a skilled hunter or a trapper a skilled hunter or a trapper like Esau in the Old Testament was a skilled outdoorsman, a man of, uh, of you know, the, the great outdoors. He was a hunter and a trapper. In this congregation, and he's not here this morning, but uh, Jesse uh, Hester is a great outdoorsman and a great hunter and uh, a trapper and fisherman. So, uh, yeah, it, it, uh, a fowler is like Jesse Hester or uh, Esau. But uh, it's referring to the fowler in the demonic sense that comes against the people of God. Okay? Let's read on. He, God, shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. Okay, so what's a buckler? That's a, yet another word that's not common in today's vernacular. Uh, well, it refers to God's truth uh, being our buckler. Well, let me define that for you out of the Brown Driver Briggs Hebrew and English lexicon. And it says this, a buckler, which is the Hebrew word uh, tesena, is a large shield covering the whole body. That's a buckler. So you could picture those Roman soldiers 
Uh, and you may have seen illustrations in Ro of Roman soldiers. They had those very tall shields that kind of encircled their body. And uh, they had to be strong to handle them because they were very tall, covered nearly their whole body. So that's, what that, that's, a, that's a buckler, a large shield covering the whole body. And that's what God is to us. He shall cover you with his feathers. Under his wings you shall take refuge. And his truth shall be your shield and buckler. What's his truth? What we're proclaiming this morning. Amen. Other than what you might otherwise be fearful to think. And we'll get into that here in a few moments. Let's read on. Again, we're doing verse by verse through Psalm 91, verse 5. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrows that fly by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor the destruction that lays waste at noonday. Now, what's a, a pestilence is like a, it's a, like a, a, an infectious plague, okay? A contagious plague. That's what a pestilence is. Verse 7, a thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Yeah. Come on, come on. That's a praise break right there. Come on, folks. Hallelujah. Praise God. Verse 8, only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward or the retribution or punishment of the wicked. That word reward, I'm, I'm quoting out of the, the New King James. The King, the King James and the New King James use the word reward there, and probably more accurately, uh, at least for our time, more accurately translated, it would be the words retribution and punishment of the wicked. So only with your eyes shall you look, and you shall see the retribution and punishment of the wicked. Thank you, Lord, for that promise. Verse 9, because you've made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. The dwelling place, by the way, is habitation. We'll get into that as well, habitation. Verse 13, you shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent, you shall trample underfoot. In other words, if you happen to meet a, a wild and dangerous animal, just like David did when he fought the lion and the bear, and then eventually a giant, you can have victory over those things. The Apostle Paul also experienced that on the island of Malta, where he was gathering some sticks, and a highly poisonous viper attached itself to his hand, which he shook off in the fire, and the islanders just sat down to watch because they thought, oh my goodness, this guy must be a murderer because although he escaped the sea, um, justice will not let him live. So they sat back to wait for him to swell up and then drop dead, and then nothing happened, so then they decided he was a god, <laughs> all right? Uh, but w do we have authority over wild animals? Amen. The Bible says that he protects us from those things. You shall tread, you shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent, you shall trample underfoot, praise God. Verse 14, because he has set his love upon me, this is God speaking, because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. 
I will be with him in trouble. Didn't say you would never have trouble, but when you have trouble, God will be with you. I will deliver him from that trouble and then honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. What a promise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for that. But I want to give you a different side of this covenant for a moment. And in doing so, I want to deviate from Psalm 91 here and read a short passage out of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 25 and 26, which says, Have no fear of sudden disaster or the ruin that overtakes the wicked. For the Lord will be at your side and will keep your foot from being snared. Hallelujah. And that goes back to verse 2 of Psalm 91, which they relate here. You can cross-reference these. Verse 2 of Psalm 91 says, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Praise God. Now, I, I want to make some qualifying remarks here and, and dive into the question, well, if that's all true, what about some of the wonderful people of God that I've known or heard about who have been struck by tragedy? Well, I have a few insights on that that I hope will help you look at the screen. Number one here, and you can write this down, everything in the kingdom, and I mean everything in the kingdom, is obtained by faith. It's obtained by faith. Why do I say that? Well, first of all, because if you don't believe it or you don't know about it, you can't access it. Think about how you got saved. When you, you couldn't get saved until you learned that there was a Redeemer who was willing to forgive your sins because Jesus paid for your sins on the cross. Once you learned that and then you believed it and you received it, then you had access to the benefits and the promises of salvation. And everything that you receive in the kingdom beyond that point is received exactly the same way by faith. So if you don't know it or you don't believe it, you don't have access to it. But on this question, I'm reminded of the tragedies of the lives, uh, tragedies in the lives of several high profile Christians and people of God that have happened down through my lifetime. And in all cases, these people believed and taught that, quote, God gives and God takes away, as in God will strike his own children with tragedy once in a while. And you just have to be prepared for that and brace yourself for that in case it happens to you, too. Well, that's the Job mentality. Because that phrase, God gives and God takes away, is something that Job said in the book of Job when tragedy struck his life. And I did an entire teaching on Job, by the way, a couple of times actually, that you might go back on the website and pull that up and listen to it. Because I, don't, I think that most people don't really even understand the book of Job. They, they take a few verses out of context and they build a theology around it. And that statement that God gives and God takes away, that Job made... Well, Job didn't really understand what was happening. God didn't strike Job, as Bill Compton said last week in his excellent teaching. God didn't strike Job. Satan did that. Right? Satan did that. And there's a lot more about Job that I don't have time to get into today. Again, that, I covered that extensively in a couple of other teachings on the website that are still available. But I do encourage you to go listen to that. 
um, if you want to learn more about Job, and why we can't use Job as an example of God just randomly striking his own obedient children with tragedy. Now, if you're well-read in the scriptures, you might remember that when David and Bathsheba had their little fling and conceived a child, that God struck that child. The Bible says this, that God struck the child and it died. But listen, ladies and gentlemen, that was an act of judgment. It was an act of judgment. David had committed a heinous act. The scriptures say in that same passage that what David had done was evil in God's sight. It said the thing that David had done was evil in God's sight, and he judged him for it. What David had done was heinous. He committed adultery and then had this woman's husband murdered in cold blood to try to cover up what he had done. And God saw that whole thing. And he said, now the, the child that will be born to you will now die, and now the sword will never leave your house from this day forward. So even though David was still a man after God's own heart because he repented, still there was consequences that came as a result of that heinous, horrendous act. So God, that was, a, that was an act of judgment, ladies and gentlemen. So that belief that God will strike his own obedient children with tragedy just because he wants to teach you a lesson, I believe that that belief could be a chink in the armor of the people of God that I believe could open the door to demonic assault. See, you will most often get what you believe and expect. And again, it goes down to the basis of faith. See, if you expect to have terrible things happen, well, that could possibly open the door to those things possibly coming to pass as they did in Job's life. If you read the book of Job, you find out that Job was so fearful and expecting bad things to happen to his children that every day he got up to make sacrifices for his children in case they weren't living right. And when the tragedy did strike, do you know what he said? What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. See, he was, he was meditating on these things and it opened the door to demonic assault. See, if you don't expect to walk in health, as an example, or you don't expect to walk in the supernatural provision of God, then it's very unlikely that you will. Because Proverbs 23, 7, in the, New, uh, in the King James Version says, that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Right? Now, listen, I want to make a qualifying remark. I am not Casting dispersions on people who have had terrible things happen. Of course not. Don't mishear me. God is a God of compassion. And he wants to, de to deliver people from the works of the devil. Folks, listen. There are some wonderful and godly people who have been struck by inexplicable tragedy. And we can't always make sense of those sorts of things, I admit. But when that happens, are, there are some things that we can learn and are there some common denominators that we can observe? And most importantly, what's the Word of God say? So let me give you another point here, a subheading under this first point. Everything in the kingdom is obtained by faith. Well, nevertheless, we're still called to walk in the wisdom of God. See, living by faith doesn't negate walking in wisdom. 
See, of the several high-profile Christians who have died tragically in my lifetime, one of them was Christian singer Keith Green, who died in a plane crash along with two of his young children in 1982. Very tragic thing that happened. Keith Green was one of my, and still is one of my favorite Christian singers, great young man of God that he was. But the reason that his plane went down is because it was overloaded with too many people, and it couldn't get enough lift, and it struck some trees at the end of the runway and burned. That was a seven-seat plane with 12 people in it. Now, granted, some of them were children, so that's probably why they thought they could get away with that. But an investigation into the crash later determined that that plane was about 450 pounds overweight. So we have to walk in wisdom, don't we? We have to listen to the Holy Spirit, don't we? And again, I'm not casting dispersions upon Keith Green. He made a terrible mistake and paid with his life. Unfortunately, he was a great young man of God. Great young man of God, but he was only 28 years old. He still had some things to learn. But unfortunately, that particular mistake cost him his life. We have to listen to the Holy Spirit and also weigh out all the facts available to us. I heard about another woman who was a faith gal. She believed in the promises of Psalm 91, like what we looked at this morning. But she needed to go downtown. I think I've told you the story once before. She needed to go downtown at night for something. I don't remember what the situation was and why she felt compelled to go downtown at night in kind of a bad part of town. And she got this. If, you, if some of you are familiar with this terminology, this is not Bible terminology, but this is just kind of a phrase that we use to uh, refer to the Holy Spirit um, kind of interrupting us to try to get our attention. So have you ever heard that term, I got a check in my spirit? That's kind of what that's referring to. If you've never heard that, um, that's what that's referring to. So this woman got a check in her spirit that, oh, that's just this hesitation. Maybe I shouldn't go down there. But then she got to intellectualizing it and thinking, well, it's fine. I'm going to go down there because I really need to do this thing at that night. But then she got this check in her spirit again, but then ended up going down there anyway and getting mugged at knife point. And it traumatized her. And then she went to the Lord later and said, Lord, why did this happen to me? I'm a Psalm 91 woman. I believe in the promises of Psalm 91. Why did this happen to me? And then it dawned on her, I tried to tell you three different times not to go down there, and you did it anyway. I was trying to protect you about what I knew was going to happen if you went down there, and you didn't listen, and you went anyway. So it was a, a very painful lesson. Now, thankfully, she came away uh, unharmed and with her life, but she lost some money and got traumatized in the process because they roughed her up a little bit, I guess. But, but uh, it was a very painful lesson to pay attention to those checks in your spirit. Pay attention to what the, the voice of the Holy Spirit is trying to tell you. Because not every situation that you're going to be in is always going to be in the pages of the Bible. I mean, that's our first source of, of information. But, but some situations you're going to be in require you listening to the Holy Spirit Amen. and just looking at the facts before you. As well. So God gave us wisdom and discernment, and He gave us the wonderful guidance of the Holy Spirit. We are foolish to not pay attention to that. So we have to pay attention to His promptings and also the information that we have available to us and weigh all that out. Because even when the facts say one thing, in some situations, God may say, Well, yeah, these are the facts, but I want you to do something else in this case. So we always have to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, don't we?
You know, Proverbs 27, 12 says, the prudent see danger coming and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. So we have to know some facts and we have to get the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Proverbs also tells us that wisdom is found in many advisors, in many advisors. Okay. All right. And on a, another related point here about regarding good people being struck by terrible things is that of persecution. So we are not promised immunity from persecution. I know that's not the good news that you wanted to hear this morning, but that's we have to include that as part of the discussion because we need to have a balanced discussion here. We're not immune from persecution. The scriptures tell us that all who desire to live godly will be persecuted. See, there's Christians in the world today suffering harsh treatment because of their faith. Because of their faith. And no, we're not exempt from this. This is where we have to show ourselves faithful to the end. But folks, listen, when it just comes to the natural ebb and flow of life, our expectations need to be higher. I mean, if the Bible says this in Psalm chapter 91 and Proverbs chapter 3, why not set our expectations on that rather than the opposite? There are so many people walking around with this Eeyore mentality. You know, oh, poor me. Everything happens to me. You know, what is it... uh, Murphy's Law. Oh, if there's anything bad that's going to happen, it's going to happen to me. Well, my gosh, why would you put that law above what God's Word says, for Pete's sake? Here's my philosophy. If there's anything good that's going to happen, it's going to happen to me. And you should think that way, too, because that's what the Bible says. Now, again, I admit that there's things that happen sometimes that we can't explain. But once again, why do people focus on those things that other people experience? Because you don't know what is going on with those people behind the scenes. Okay, I'm going to tell you a story that I've told you before, but it bears repeating for those of you that have not heard it. And it's a nice reminder about not to base your experience or your belief based upon what somebody else did. Okay, there was a lady in a previous church who was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And she said all the right things. I'm believing God for my healing. You know, by the stripes of Jesus, I'm healed. She was saying all the right things. But then there was a, a conference, a healing conference that had, uh, was coming to Indianapolis. And somebody said, hey, you should go to this healing conference. You know what she said? She said, well, I have this other event that I'm going to go to that pertains to whatever a hobby that she enjoyed. And she said, there's this other event that I want to go to. And it might be the last opportunity for me to do something like that. See, she was saying all the right things, but when push came to shove, comes to shove, you just got to see what was really in her heart. Yes. And she ended up passing away of cancer. Now, hey, I'm kind of jealous of her right now because she's in heaven. Okay, so it's still a good deal for her. She still went to heaven, praise God. But, you know, a lot of people can be saying one thing and believing another. I've learned that over and over throughout my life. People can, be, can put up a very good front and say all the right things, but, but inside they're believing something completely different. And when you get them alone and get them with their family where they're not trying to impress anybody, you find what's really in their heart by what comes out of their mouth and how they behave. Okay? So faith is not just something that you say. It's got to be something that you believe, truly believe, that you're convinced of. 
So once again, I want to reiterate. If the Bible says this in Psalm, or Proverbs rather, Proverbs chapter 3 and Psalm 91, why not set our expectations on what God's word says rather than somebody else's experience or Murphy's law or whatever else? Put your faith on God's word for Pete's sake. See, listen folks, we are not of this world. We live in a higher realm. We have a God who defends us and bears us up in his hands. So why not put our faith in that rather than all that could go wrong, but actually might not ever go wrong. A lot of people put their faith on something that could go wrong, but might never happen. Why, why do we do that? It's the sinful fallen condition that we, the default position of our sinful natures is we, we fixate on what could go wrong rather than what could go right. And God wants us to fixate on what could go right and what his word says. All right. So I'm talking to you about right now what our end of the covenant is. And the second principle I want to introduce you to is is habitation with God. This is our our end of the covenant too. Habitation with God. I'm going to revisit verse 9 out of Psalm 91 right now. Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. What's that talking about? It's talking about habitation. Habitation. Then it goes on to say in verse 14, because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known by my name. Now listen, I want to give you a little bit of a, a insight about that wording there uh, in English from the ancient Hebrew. Um, one version says, lovingly devoted to me. Okay, because he has set his love upon me, one version says, lovingly devoted to me. And when it says, it's when it says, known by name, because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. He has set his, uh, I will set him on high because he has known my name. Well, that means that phrase in the ancient Hebrew means to experience and to have absolute knowledge of that love. To experience that love and have absolute knowledge of that love. So what does it mean to habitate with God then? Are you okay so far? You got a couple more minutes? You all right? Okay. What does it mean to habitate with God? Well, I'm going to refer here to Genesis 15.1, where it says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Uh, What was Abram's reward? God is. God is his very great reward. Hallelujah. So then, there's a principle right here on this uh, question about what does it mean to uh, habitate with God. It means to seek his face, which means uh, his, his presence, rather than just seeking his hands or his gifts. Does that make sense? See, for a lot of people, God is simply a means to an end. Let me say that again. For a lot of people, God is simply a means to an end. But to habitate with God means to seek him simply for who he is and what he's already done. Hallelujah. See, again, it means to seek his face, which refers to his presence, not just his hands, which refers to his provisions. See, 
the scriptures say of the ancient Israelites during Moses' day that the Israelites sought the works of God, but Moses sought the face of God. Yeah. Very different. See, if you seek the face of God, the provisions come with it. But if you seek just the provision of God, the presence doesn't always come with it. Seek the face of God. Now, uh, let me clarify. That doesn't mean we shouldn't ask for things. And that's not what I'm saying. That we shouldn't ask for things. Of, of course, God wants us to do that. But moreover, it means to delight ourselves in God, regardless of whether our prayer is answered at the moment or not. I'm going to say that again. To habitate with God means to delight ourselves in his presence, regardless of whether or not your prayer is answered at the moment or not. Because you're delighting yourself in simply for who he is. Back to Job for a moment. You know, as I said in that previous teaching some time ago, I think that was at least a year ago, that's on the archives and the website if you want to go look for that. But as I said in that teaching on Job, see, Job actually had some inner heart issues and some wrong attitudes about himself and God that eventually surfaced during his trials. And not a lot of people know that because they haven't read Job from cover to cover. They pulled little segments out of it to build theologies around. That's why you need to read in context, folks. Job actually had some inner heart issues and some wrong attitudes about himself and God that eventually surfaced during his trials. But to Job's credit, one thing that he didn't waver on, one thing that he got right, he didn't waver on the fact that his desire and his commitment was to serve God, even when he thought that it was God who had struck him. He made the famous statement, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Though he slay me, yet will I serve him. And I think that's an important perspective for us to consider, folks, because trials will reveal, listen, trials will reveal the condition of your heart. See, will you love and serve God even when you don't know what's going on and you don't know why things are happening the way they are? See, trials test the heart. Where is your true devotion? So that's why habitation with God will go beyond just asking God for help for things that we can't control. It will go beyond that. And then the third principle here uh, for our end of the covenant, and I'll get through this very quickly, uh, hopefully. I'm just going to give you three quick scriptures here. Um, and, and the point here is our end of the covenant is a life of obedience. Not that you won't slip up from time to time, but that your, your, your constant pursuit should be one of, of obedience. Okay? So I'm going to read you some scriptures along those lines that have promises attached to them. Okay, you ready? 1 John 5.18, we know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning. That means a lifestyle of sinning. Okay? We know that God's children... Do not make a practice of sinning, for God's Son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. Wow, what a promise. The next one, Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord, or the awesome respect of the Lord, leads to life. Then one rests content 
untouched by trouble. Now, what's that mean? That you're never going to experience trouble from this point forward? No, it means that trouble will not permanently rest upon you and you won't be destroyed by it. That's what it means. Hallelujah. Yep. And then also Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. For you have died. It's talking about dying to your old carnal nature. For you have died and your, and your life has been hidden with Christ in God. I like that wording. Your life is now hidden in Christ with God. And that can denote likewise a place of protection. So I want to read, I want to end uh, our teaching today by quoting from a book that uh, I borrow the title of this book for the title of this teaching. And the name of the book is called Build Yourself an Ark. And I'm going to read some excerpts from it and then I'll, I'll show you the book, the book cover and the author. But I think this is a really important perspective um, for uh, ending the teaching today. So let's read this together. A little bit of a longer reading, but bear with me because I want you to get this. All right, here we go. Noah knew there was a flood coming. People made fun of him all those years. Crazy old Noah talks about God delivering him from the flood that's coming. He doesn't know what he's talking about. They didn't know or understand until the flood came and swept them away. They were in the dark. But when the flood came, Noah wasn't in the dark. He was in the ark. Today I'm saying to you the same thing God said to Noah. There's a flood coming. Build yourself an ark. And then it goes on. How do we build ourselves an ark? Begin with the 91st Psalm. Build it with scripture about your deliverance. Build it by abiding in the Almighty. Build it by saying with your mouth, He is my refuge and my fortress. He is my God. In Him will I trust. And on Him I lean and rely. Don't wait until the flood comes and sweeps you away. Start now. Meditate on God's word of deliverance. Read it. Go over it every day until it is so deeply rooted in your heart that it comes flowing out, out of your mouth, uh, it means there, flowing out at the first sign of trouble. Build yourself an ark today. Don't be in the dark. Be in the ark. And there's a uh, look at the book cover that was written by Gloria Copeland. And she has a, boy, she's, if you've ever listened to any of her teachings or read any of her material, she has a real focus upon the protection of God. So she loves Psalm 91. She teaches on that a lot. So uh, Gloria Copeland is a great resource if you want to learn more about that. But that book is a great resource. Build Yourself an Ark. Uh, the uh, subtitle there, A Blueprint for Deliverance from Danger by Gloria Copeland. Just, yeah, wonderful stuff. So, yes, as we come to a close here, there are a lot of prophecies and predictions being made about a great shaking that's coming to this nation. And if we're not spiritually prepared, folks, then when perilous times come, that can be very unsettling for even believers. But God wants us to live higher than that, doesn't he? See, if we build ourselves an ark now, then when and if perilous times come, then we will be hidden in the shelter of the Most High. All right, I want to close with two more scriptures. Are you okay for that? Okay, here we go. Uh, Isaiah 54, 13 through 17. Listen very closely. Follow along with me as I read. Then all your sons will be taught by the Lord, and great will be their prosperity. 
In righteousness you will be established far from oppression, for you will have no fear. Terror will be far removed, for it will not come near you. If anyone attacks you, it is not from me. Whoever assails you will fall before you. Behold, I have created the craftsman who fans the the coals into flame and forges a weapon fit for its task. And I have created the destroyer to wreak havoc. Who is the destroyer? That's talking about the angel of God on your behalf. That's what it's talking about. Listen to the context. If anyone attacks you, it is not for me. Whoever assails you will fall before you. Behold, I have created the craftsman who fans the coals into flame and forges a weapon fit for its task. I have created the destroyer, talking about an angel, to wreak havoc on your enemies. Verse 17, no weapon formed against you will prosper and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. And this last line right here, I've got to highlight this. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. Now listen, why do I want to emphasize and and highlight that statement? Because some people, again, could say, well, Andy, that is written in the Old Testament to the people of Israel. No, no, no. Wait a minute. Look at the wording. It doesn't say this is the heritage of the ancient Israelites. It says this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. That's for all time. That's your promise. This is your vindication from him, says the Lord. And then I want to end with this passage right here, and we'll pray. Psalm 27, verses 5 and 6. The the entire chapter of Psalm 27 is great, but look at these verses right here. Verse 5. For in the day of trouble, again, it didn't say that you would never have trouble. In this world, we all have many tribulations, the scripture says. Jesus said, but take heart because I've overcome the world. Hallelujah. It also says in the book of Psalms that that, uh, the righteous may have many troubles, but God delivers them from them all. Praise God. Praise God. All right, let's start over and and read in Psalm 27. Verse 5, for in the day of trouble, he will hide me in his shelter. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be held high above my enemies around me. And his tabernacle, I will offer sacrifices at his tabernacle. I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. And this is why we do sing and make music to the Lord every morning, because we have a God who promises stuff like that. We have every reason to sing and make music to the Lord. Now, listen, I know that some of you in this room right now have had terrible things happen. Disease, trauma, injury, even death of close loved ones. And maybe you didn't know this stuff back then. But you know what? It's not too late to start today. So that more things like that don't come into your life. That you can enter the shelter of the Most High. And so that you and your offspring and your heritage would be sheltered under the shadow of His wings. Praise God. So in this series that we're about to do, we're going to talk more about the deliverance of God in these perilous times. 
and what you can do to partner with God in your own deliverance and protection from the perilous times that we live in. Would that be okay? Yeah. Yeah. Amen. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.